Well, good morning, everybody. Joel had to make loud noises last week to get you all quiet. How's everyone doing? Well, I'm very much happy to be here this morning and to bring the word of the Lord. Uh, I'm sure the Holy Spirit will have a word for each and every one of us this morning. And I am particularly privileged this morning to bring you the last message as we finish our theme for the year, Wholehearted. And as you know, next week will be uh, Vision Sunday, where we will listen about the new direction where the Lord will be taking uh, us uh, as a community centered on Christ. And we have a good shepherd in God who knows where we need, what we need, where we need to be, and when we need to be there. So we trust in the Lord that next week, as he releases the vision for the new year, that it will sink in our heart and that it will guide us through uh, the year. Now, my message this morning, I have titled it The Guarantee, and I'll be speaking about the Holy Spirit. Sitting there, thinking about this topic, I just felt like unworthy to, to speak on this topic. It's like saying, I'm going to tell you who God is. <laughs> but it's also amazing how the big God reveals himself to us in bits and pieces and blows our mind, and, and we can't wait to speak about that and share that with others. Now, when you read the Gospel of uh, John, chapters 13 to 16, you will see that these chapters narrate events that happened close to each other and closer to the, in, to the end of Jesus' ministry here on the earth. Now, during this time, the disciples were experiencing severe anxiety and doubt about what the future holds for them. And they were, a couple of years ago, they were introduced to this glorious thing called the kingdom of God. They were meant to be part of it, to experience it and to witness its, its glory with their own eyes but now all of a sudden, the man who ushered them through all this is saying that he is going to leave them and they are downcast about it. So in chapters 13 to 16 of the Gospel of John, Jesus comforts them with lots of words of truth. He promises them things and he does some important things like the feet washing and the communion table and in chapter 17 of the Gospel of John, he prays for them. Now, one topic that Jesus kept coming back to in these chapters is the Holy Spirit. It's like as parents, sometimes when you have to go to work or when you have to go to places, if you have kids, your kids would be downcast about it because they want to go with you. They don't want you to leave them alone in the house. So they'll be crying and shouting, please take me. And you can't take them, so what you do is you, tell, you let them know that you'll be coming back soon. You let them know it's, it's okay to be with daddy at home for a day. <laughs> you let them know that when you come back, you will bring them something. So you speak a lot of words of comfort just to comfort them. And I feel like that's what was happening with Jesus and the disciples. Jesus keeps comforting them. I will come. In my father's house, there are many mansions, and I go to prepare, to prepare places for you, but I will come and get you. And then he speaks with them 
in lots of words. But like I said, one topic that Jesus kept coming back to and back to and repeating again and again was the Holy Spirit. Let's look at some of these verses. In John chapter 14, from verse 15 to 18, Jesus declared, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, and he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be, with you, will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. So here is Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit. He calls him the helper. He tells them that he will abide with you forever. And he is the spirit of truth. The world cannot receive him. The world cannot know him. The world cannot see him. But you know him because he dwells in you. And then in the same chapter, in John chapter 14, from verse 25 to 26, again Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I say to you. Again, the helper, the Holy Spirit, he will come and he will teach you all things and he will bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said to you. Yet another verse in the next chapter, in John chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus said, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. And one more verse. John chapter 16, from verse 5 to verse 15. Here is Jesus saying, But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For, I, for if I did not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. I just want to pause here and say, and say something. Jesus said one of the, the ministries of the Holy Spirit when he comes will be to convict the world of sin. Not the believers, convict the world of sin. And the sin that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of is just one sin. And that sin is not believing in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not going to convict an unbeliever about lying, about gossiping, about any other sin that they commit. There is only one sin that is bigger than all of these sins. And until that sin is addressed, that individual will not have the capacity to address all other sins. That one sin, the Holy Spirit will keep 
badgering the unbeliever about is the sin of not believing in Jesus. So of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take off what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that when therefore I said that he will take off mine and declare it to you. Amen. So these are all the verses from chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16, where Jesus was uh, reiterating the point about the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus knew that his time has come to depart from the earth and go back to his Father. So he is working for a smooth transition by preparing the hearts of the disciples to let go of him and to receive what is about to come. He is preparing their heart to let go of their experiences of the kingdom of God over the past three years as they walked with Jesus and to enter into a new season with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was no longer going to be in charge of the kingdom's affairs on the earth. The Holy Spirit was going to take over and lead the church. So Jesus had to prepare their heart for this transition. Now, Jesus also knew that his disciples were going to struggle to let go of him, to let go of what's in their possession. And they did struggle, even after Jesus told them uh, how better it was for them that he should leave. Here is what Jesus said in John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. So Jesus is not sugarcoating here. He is not sweet-talking. He is not over-promising. Jesus doesn't, doesn't say things he don't mean. So when he said, I tell you the truth, what is he doing? He's telling the truth. He's telling the truth. And here is the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. What a powerful truth this is. And it's hard for, for the disciples to imagine what better there could be than Jesus. The New International Version says, it is for your good. The New Living Translation says, it is best for you. And the Message Version says, it is better for you. In whichever translation you see it, this truth is that it was better for the disciples and for the church and for us that Jesus should depart and that the Holy Spirit should come. What does this then mean? I think it means this. Imagine Jesus was physically present on the earth today. In fact, imagine Jesus was a member of Northlex and that he would come and meet with us every Sunday and be present uh, at every event that we hold and that he would come and visit us at our homes and so on. Just imagine how profound that would be. Can you imagine 
what that would mean. It means there will be no sick among us because we have the healer walking with us. It means there will be no confusion in our lives because we have a shepherd that we can turn to to guide us. It means that we have a father who disciplines us when, when it's needed. It means that all the prayer points that we had this morning will be answered before we left church today because we have the healer amongst us. It means we will be able to talk to God and have conversation with him and worship him in his very presence. Now, this is what would have, what would have been if Jesus was present physically with us. But he said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is better, it is to your advantage, it is best for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. This means we ought to live a better life today with the Holy Spirit in us than if Jesus was physically present here with us today. This is the truth. This is the hard truth, church. I'll say that again. This means we ought to live a better life today with the Holy Spirit in us than if Jesus was physically present here today. We ought to have a better access to hear from and talk to God with the Holy Spirit in us. We ought to have a better guidance because the Holy Spirit knows the deep things of God and he can reveal them to us. But where did we miss it, church? Where did we miss it? How is it that we are given such a precious gift that we don't relate to him as we would as we would to Jesus if he was physically present here with us. And I'm afraid we have not given the Holy Spirit the place he deserves in our life, in our days, and in our affairs. I'm afraid we have not developed that intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I sincerely believe, church, that this is the greatest weakness in the body of Christ as a whole today. And until we learn to honor and to follow the Holy Spirit, we will not live life to the fullest. Let me tell you something else about the Holy Spirit. We just saw how Jesus honored the Holy Spirit. Even though that was hard to swallow for the disciples of Jesus, they did experience the truth of what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit after he came in the book of Acts chapter 2. They were totally transformed and they went beyond the bounds of their experiences and experienced the kingdom of God in a new dimension. And that's my baby boy saying amen. <laughs> now the Apostle Paul was one who had such an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. And he experienced ministry under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So Paul declares something profound about the Holy Spirit. Now twice in his epistles, Paul uses the language of law and commerce and he calls the Holy Spirit the guarantee. Now I pray that this revelation will somehow transform our understanding of who the Holy Spirit is 
so that we honor him and we hold on to him than, uh, than we have uh, in the past. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 21, Paul declares, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Again, in Ephesians chapter 1, from verse 13 to 14, Paul writes, In him, meaning in Christ, you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So there is an inheritance that God has promised us, that inheritance has been partially redeemed, but it has not been fully redeemed. But pending the full redemption of the inheritance that God has promised us, God has also given us a guarantee. A guarantee that he will, in the end of the days, fulfill all that he has promised. And that guarantee that we were given is the Holy Spirit. Now, in both these epistles to the Corinthians and to the Ephesians, Paul says that the, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. Now, from the outset, there is one thing that is common uh, to most of us here this morning. This thing that I am thinking of, uh, some of you have already been through it, some of you are going through it, and some of you will be planning to go through it some, someday down the line. I don't know what you are thinking at this very moment, but I am speaking of mortgage. <laughs> now, isn't it amazing how generous the banks are that they loan you hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars for you to buy a house? And is, isn't it amazing how they trust you? They trust us so much that they give you 20 years and 30 years to pay that loan, huh? But wait, what if we default on our payment? What happens then? They have a guarantee, don't they? That's why it's called a mortgage. A mortgage is a guarantee arrangement where the banks give you a loan on the condition that a security interest, aka guarantee, on your property. What that means is if you end up being unable to pay, the bank has the right to take possession of your property, sell your property, and then reimburse themselves. And here comes the real meaning of a guarantee. When the bank loans you the money, one of the things that they will consider is how much worth your property is. Because at the end of the day, they may need to sell it and reimburse themselves. So meaning the guarantee that they take is either more valuable than the loan they give, or at the very least, it has to be of equal value to the loan that they give you. And this is the essence of a guarantee. If I ask Lisa this morning to loan me $1,000, and I tell her, I guarantee that I will pay it back in two weeks, and if you don't trust me, just hold on to this pen and I give her a beautiful pain, pain. 
Is that a guarantee? Would she have the confidence to give me the thousand loan, the thousand dollar? No, she wouldn't. The guarantee that I have given a piece of pen is not worth a thousand dollars. Now, when Paul calls the Holy Spirit the guarantee of our inheritance, at the very outset, this security arrangement is unlike what we are used to in commerce. In this world, you give a guarantee to take something or are given a guarantee for something that you buy. You are giving a guarantee to the bank for a loan that the bank is giving you. Or when you buy some electronic equipment, for example, the seller will give you a guarantee, but you are paying for that product. But our Heavenly Father is giving us the promise of the inheritance of the kingdom of God and also the guarantee that he will perform his promise. So at the very outset, this is not transactional. It's God making the promise and he is guaranteeing that he will perform the promise. And there is nothing you have to do. You are just at the receiving end of this transaction. And remember that the basic principle of a guarantee, it is of more or equal value with the promise. Now count all the inheritance that God has promised us in his word. What have we been promised in the word of God? Eternal life. We've been promised peace. We've been promised the forgiveness of our sins. We've been promised blessings. We've been promised fruitfulness. We've been promised a victorious life. Count all the inheritance that God has given us through his word. Just list them all. List them all. The guarantee for all of these is the Holy Spirit. Are you following where I'm getting at? The guarantee for all that we've been promised is the Holy Spirit. And this is the bigger revelation. If God is to default on all of his promises to us, then the spirit that he has given us is more than enough. The Holy Spirit is of more worth than all the inheritances that we are given because he is the guarantee of them all. That's how much precious the Holy Spirit is, church. He is the guarantee that God has given us and without him, it's impossible to live the Christian life. That is why, church, we need to let the Holy Spirit be in charge of our life. He is the guarantee for eternal life. He is the guarantee of heaven. He is the guarantee of the hundredfold riches that we've been promised in the word. He is the guarantee of everything. That just tells me that he is of more worth than all the inheritances that we've been promised. Now, one of the things that Jesus told his disciples right before his ascent was for them to wait on the promise of the Holy Spirit and not to depart from Jerusalem. Jesus knew that they needed the Holy Spirit and power from on high in order to carry out the gospel to Judea and to Samaria and to the outermost parts of the earth. So that is what the disciples did. Until the Holy Spirit came 
They did not move an inch. They did not begin their ministry. But after the Holy Spirit came, a new season began in their life and in their ministry. They preached the gospel with power. They ministered in the power and in the wisdom that Jesus himself ministered. Remember, Jesus himself had to wait on the Holy Spirit before he started his ministry. You see, church, it's not by power, it's not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Now, the best two examples of what life with the Holy Spirit would look like are the life of Jesus himself on the earth while he was ministering for three and a half years and the life of the disciples in the book of Acts. You know that Jesus did not begin his ministry until the Holy Spirit came upon him and he was baptized. Even Jesus had to rely on the Holy Spirit while ministering on the earth. And then in the book of Acts, we again see the Holy Spirit working with the disciples. He led them. He empowered them. He anointed them. He encouraged them when they were downcast and persecuted. And he warned them when they had to be warned and so much more. And the gospel reached us today because the Holy Spirit was the one orchestrating everything in the New Testament upon Jesus' departure. Now let me bring this thought to you and and we will pray and, and finish. Now Jesus said in John chapter 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, knowing truth and getting to the truth is the ultimate desire of all human beings. So truth is the destination. Getting to truth is all we aspire. Getting to truth is all we desire. So that's our ultimate destination. So Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the destination you need to get to. When all is said and done, it's just me. So Jesus is the destination. So when he declared that he is the truth, he is declaring that he is the ultimate destination. But not only is he the ultimate destination, he is also the way to the ultimate destination. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the destiny, and he is the road to the destiny. Then he says, he is the life. He is the one who sustains you and me to walk in the the way towards our ultimate destination. So he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. In my translation, he is the destination, he is the road to the destination, and he is the sustainer as we walk in that road. But how do you find the way in your everyday life? Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 7, from verse 13 to 14, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. 
Church, how do we find the way in our everyday life, in our everyday walk? And that is exactly why we need the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit. I know we live in a time where there is lots of confusion, where there is lots of misdirection. Life is confusing. Things could be confusing. How do we find the way? How do we know the truth? How do we know what is right? Jesus knew we would struggle. So he said, be careful. I will send you my spirit. Don't go out walking and preaching before he came. Wait for him. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Because he will guide you into all truth. One of the scriptures I love in the Bible about the Holy Spirit is that he knows the deep things of God. There's nothing hidden that the Holy Spirit doesn't know. So he can lead you across the path of righteousness. And how desperately we need his guidance in today's time where the confusion is overbearing. How desperately we need his whisper in our daily lives so that we can accomplish God's purpose for our lives every day. Every day. If we desire to experience these little victories in our everyday life, church, let us start to lean into the Holy Spirit every day and seek his guidance. Just like John leaned into the bosom of Jesus. Let us lean in to the Holy Spirit every day Let us long to hear from him and to receive directions from him. I'm talking about a lifestyle change where we refuse to make decisions or take steps until we hear from him. Let us be dead set on this truth that until we listen from the Holy Spirit, until we receive direction, from him concerning whatever it is that we have to make decision on. Let's make that lifestyle change where we are totally dependent on him for guidance. And life is beautiful with him in charge. Life is beautiful with the Holy Spirit in charge. His leadership is amazing. His whispers of truth are amazing. It's amazing when the Holy Spirit challenges you. It's amazing when the Holy Spirit comforts you. And it's amazing when the Holy Spirit guides you. Can I ask the band to come? Now, I want, I want to give you a couple of minutes this morning, church, just to be silent before his presence. I'm not going to tell you what to do but I want you to be silent before his presence and and let the Holy Spirit lead you this time around. Preparing this message, I was in in a repentant spirit for how neglectful I've been to follow him and to honor him in, in everyday life. If you are like me, it's time to repent before his presence. If you had never experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit, 
This is your opportunity to ask the Lord to baptize you with his spirit this morning. It's Jesus who baptizes with fire and with the spirit. And you can ask him to do that this morning. I know Jesus is here. He can baptize you with his spirit. If there is an issue you need guidance on, if there is a decision you have to make, you can ask the Holy Spirit to point you in the right direction this morning. Whatever it is that is in your heart, just take a minute to talk to the Holy Spirit now. You can bow down your heads, you can stand, you can kneel, however you want to do this. Let go of any other thoughts in your mind and just speak with the guarantee that we were given the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the precious gift of the Holy Spirit. How wonderful a gift you have given us to guide us to be in us forever. And what a great mystery it is that we are the temples of the Holy Spirit, that God dwells in us, that God resides in us. We thank you for this wonderful truth. And we pray this morning for grace to be able to walk in the truth that we carry God in us. Forgive us for how neglectful and ignorant we have been of your spirit. Forgive us for all the times we stepped in front of your spirit and took matters into our own hands. We would like to step back this morning, Lord, and let the Holy Spirit be the leader. Open up our ears so that we can hear his voice loud and clear. Open up our eyes so that we can recognize his doings in our lives. And as we head into Vision Sunday next week, Lord, we pray that you would guide our church into the direction that you desire. We know that it is not by power nor by might, but by your spirit, Lord. And in the powerful and mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.